Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. Good to be back. Very exciting. Um, My name is Leona. For those of you who don't know me, and I'm the cross-campus pastor here at Hills. And I love to just swap a bit congregation. I always feel like it's so good to catch up with different people all around the hills and just know that the Lord is at work. Amen. Amen. So good. It helps to be an extrovert too, I must say. I think some of my children may struggle a tiny bit more (laughs) with this, but I love it. That is great. Um, Before I get into it, let's just pray quickly. Jesus, Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord of Lords and God of Gods and We worship you, Jesus. We thank you for the song that we sang before, Lord. Um, Just thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for us. And thank you that we can be here today listening to your word, Spirit. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, Spirit, that you would speak and that you would do what only you can do, Lord. And I pray that, um, yeah, you, every single word coming out of my mouth would be truth, anointed by you, Lord, and that I would just be completely out of the way. In your name, amen. Amen. So today we are looking at Nehemiah chapter 4, and it is this chapter where we face, or where Nehemiah faces a lot of opposition. But before we go into this, right now, I wanted to ask you a question, quite a personal one. I want to ask you, and this is only something that you can answer to yourself, is if you have fully committed your life to Jesus. Have you fully committed your life to Jesus? Maybe you have given your life to the Lord a few years ago and you are living with him and loving it. Maybe you are here today because a friend of yours invited you and you're sussing this whole faith thing out and you're a bit unsure or nervous about it yet, what this Jesus dude is all about and how he could really transform your life. Well, I pray that you would find the answers to the questions that you have. But I also thought I wanted to give you a few promises that the Lord has given us that if you truly choose to follow him in your life, he gives you many, many beautiful promises. He promises you firstly that you will receive life. It says in Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The Lord promises you to never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord promises you a reward in heaven. In fact, he promises you eternal life. You know what a blessing that is to not having to live in fear of death in this world? To know that something continues after, to have a hope in Jesus that this is not it, that there's so much more to it all. The Lord promises you that if you truly seek him, And if you follow him, that he will continue to reveal himself to you. He will give you a growing understanding of who he is. What a blessing to get to know the Lord of Lords who created this world, who created you. Jesus will call you his friend, it says in John 15, and he will put his heart in you, his joy in your heart. What a blessing. And I believe that we could see all of this in the first few chapters of the book of Nehemiah. If you 
have not listened to the first sermons of the sermon series, I strongly encourage you to go back online and to listen to them. Because we sat down before, when we put it all together, and we did pray, and we pray that this would not just be a sermon series where you come in and walk out and go home and forget. But we pray that truly this sermon series could change your life. Not only for what and how well we deliver or what we say up here, but also how you reflect on it after and bring it to the Lord and ask him and ask his spirit to truly change you. So this is my prayer for all of you today. That whatever is shared right now, that you would go out, go into this week, dwell on it, sit on it, pray and ask the Lord what this means personally for you. But for those of you who have not been here the first few weeks or have missed a couple of things, I'll do a really quick sum up right now to how we got to chapter 4. So here we are. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer, and he was a cupbearer to the king. And I envisioned that he had probably quite a good life. But Nehemiah was also Jewish. And Nehemiah's heart was for his nation. And then the news got to Nehemiah that the city of Jerusalem is in ruins, and all the walls are in crumble, and the people live in great shame. And Nehemiah's heart was crying, and he prayed to God, and he said, God, what shall we do? What can I do? It's your people. What do you do with them? And the Lord put the desire and the vision in Nehemiah's heart that it would be he who would go back to gather the people and to reestablish the wall of Jerusalem. Nehemiah then approached the king, and this was pretty massive back then. If you said the wrong thing to the king, you could be beheaded. I do hope that leaders today are a bit more easily approachable. <laughs> but Nehemiah went, and he spoke to the king, and the Lord granted him favor. The king listened, and he sent Nehemiah. And he didn't just send him, he blessed him, and he gave him all the paperwork he needed for the journey back to Jerusalem to be safe. And he also gave him the material he needed to establish these walls again. So Nehemiah went. And then he came to Jerusalem and he gathered the Jewish people there and they started building this wall. And last week we could hear how this wall went up a lot faster than anybody could have ever imagined. Amazing. And now we are in chapter 4. And this is now the chapter where Nehemiah faces opposition. Opposition to what God is doing, opposition to the vision that the Lord has put in his heart. Opposition to the work that God wanted to happen. Because where God is at work, we're going to face opposition. And this is another promise that I want to share with you today. That when you truly decide to follow Jesus in your life, and you commit your life to Christ... There is this promise that you are going to face opposition in this world. Because where God is at work, you will face opposition. And it happened to Nehemiah too. Let's read again verses 7 and 8. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. A month of building this wall showed absolutely remarkable results. Who would have thought that this wall would actually go up? Unbelievable. I just put myself in the shoes of these Jewish 
people before and I was like, imagine you're a part of that. Imagine you, you lived in the city for so many years where the walls were just all crumbled down. You got used to all the dirt around you. You got used that you had no protection anymore. It almost was your new home, you know, like when you sometimes don't see how beautifully or not beautifully the walls are painted. You don't look around anymore as much, do you? You get used to your environment a bit. The people there, they're probably used to it all a bit. But now all of a sudden there was hope again, though. Hope again for what Jerusalem was meant to be. Hope again for this wall to be established. And the, there was this man and they came and the law planted the vision in him and they had the blessing of the king and now they could start building this wall. And they were doing it and it was actually happening. How much excitement must they have felt? So beautiful. However, back in Samaria, the tension was a bit different. Sanballat, who was a leader for that region, got really angry at it. He heard about it and he called Tobiah and together they called in the leaders from the east and the south and the west. And they said to them, guys, do you actually understand what is happening here? Do you get what is going on? Do you know the gravity of all of this? Do you know that when these walls of Jerusalem are going up again, what that means for us? They're probably going to control all the trading in the whole area again like they used to back in the day. Do you want this to happen? Well, I don't. We don't. So we must do something about it. So what we now need to get is that they had absolutely nothing in their hand to go against Nehemiah because Nehemiah had the blessing of the king. Politically, they couldn't do anything. And Nehemiah also had all the material he needed. So what did they do? They talked Nehemiah down. They talked the Jewish people down. And they talked the quality of the wall down. They said that even when a fox shines up that wall, it's probably going to crumble. And they call them the feeble Jews. And you know what the crazy thing about this is? It's probably that it's half true. <laughs> because the people, the Jewish people who were building this wall, they weren't part of a massive building company equipped for many, many years. They weren't the best builders in town. Most of them are people like you and I. You don't want to see a wall that I'm going to build. <laughs> they had, but they were doing it. They were just part of this picture. But the stones they used as well, they were burnt down stones. They were all in crumble, but this was the material they used. So they knew the power of speaking half-truths over someone's life and what this can actually do to them. And how this can be so discouraging. But what Sambalat and Nehemiah did not see and didn't get was the wider picture behind it all. It was that there was the Lord's hand that was actually building the wall. That it was the Lord's vision to get this done again. And this is something they couldn't understand and couldn't even see. They couldn't know. How often in life is it that when we listen to something that someone is saying about us or discouraging us or maybe even a half-truth that's spoken over you and you take it to heart and you start believing it and it shapes your life a tiny bit and you let this sentence or this word almost have a bit too much power in your life, affect you too much for you to be who you actually believe you are. Words have so much power in this world. The Bible says about how powerful words can be. We need to be so super careful what we say about each other, to each other, for one another. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. 
I want to tell you just a quick story about my little daughter, Cassie. Cassie is five years old. And Cassie came home the other week. I picked her up, I kissed and dropped from school, and she jumped into the car. And then she started crying quite heavily. And I was like, Cassie, what's up? And she said, ah, oh, mom, such and such, whatever other little five-year-old girl said, that my hair isn't as beautiful as my hair. My hair is not as beautiful as her hair, sorry. And in actual fact that I'm stupid. So I don't know about you, but if you're a mom, <laughs> you're ready to fight. The other five-year-old girl. <laughs> so I sat in the car and I was like, mm. What I do, what I do. And I was like, Cassie, if mommy tells you right now that you're a banana, are you a banana? <laughs> no, mommy, I'm not a banana. I was like, exactly, you're not a banana. You're not a banana. Do you actually know that the word says that you're fearfully and wonderfully created? This is who you are. This is what God says you are. He wanted you exactly how you were created, with the hair that you've got on your head. And do you also know that when the Lord says that when you pray for wisdom in your life, that he will give you godly wisdom? What a godly superpower you're going to have in your life. You're going to be so smart. I truly believe that if we know our identity in Christ and who we are in him, that these words do not have to shape you. I truly believe this. And this is the deepest prayer as a mom right now I've got when my little girl is going to school. And here's sentences like this. Do you know who you are in him? However, it should not surprise you that you're going to receive discouragement in life. As I said before, I was promised to you that you're going to face opposition. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live a godly life in this world will be persecuted. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking of the 12 disciples and how their life finished. And it's pretty full on. I don't know if you've ever looked into this. Shocked me a bit. I'm going to read it out. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, hang himself. James was executed by Herod. Peter and Paul were martyred. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was pierced by spears to death. Philip was killed. Matthew and Bartholomew were martyred. James was stoned. Simon was killed. John was the only disciple where it's believed that he died a natural death. I believe that we here in Australia are so often so far removed from all this thinking. And praise God, praise God that we do not have to live our life here right now in fear to lose our life because we believe in Jesus. But as I was thinking of this whole topic of persecution, it led me to the Open Doors webpage. And I wanted to read out to you what Open Doors currently says or how they define persecution. They say persecution is any form of hostility experienced as a result of following Jesus. This can look different for the hundreds of millions of believers who face persecution every day. For some, it is a denial of basic needs like clean water, food and health care because of their faith in Jesus. Or rejection from the non-Christian family and community. For others, Christian persecution is acts of physical violence, imprisonment or even death. Right now, there's hundreds of millions of people in this world who are facing death or getting persecuted because they believe in the same Jesus as you and I. That's all they're doing, nothing more. They believe in Jesus, 
and they're facing persecution. Please pray for your brothers and sisters all over the world. I'm sad to say that since the Taliban took over Afghanistan, again, Afghanistan is officially now voted to be the most dangerous country to be living in as a Christian. For the first time. The second country is North Korea, third Somalia, fourth Libya, and fifth Yemen. Please pray for your brothers and sisters in Israel. Australia is not even on the top 100 list. And let's praise Jesus for this, amen? Let's not just take for granted how we can gather here on a Sunday morning and listen, listen to his word and dig deeper and worship him together and encourage one another in our faith and live it out publicly. Be grateful in it. But it is promised that we too face opposition in our faith. There was the promise. So you may have experienced that since you gave your life to the Lord, that some of your family members who are not believing in Jesus are not supporting you in your walk right now, are actually going a bit against you. Or that you may have been to family parties and all of a sudden you became the joke of the night. You and your faith and people laugh at you. You may have experienced the peer pressure in society to join in whatever society is telling you right now of what they think is good or true. You may have discerned that media is projecting the news in a very special way and that sadly the Christian values have less and less weight in and through it all. Well, let's look into how Nehemiah responded when he heard of the opposition that he was about to face. The first thing Nehemiah did was he prayed. Nehemiah prayed. It says in verse 9, We prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Pray first. How often in life do we face difficulties and we forget to pray? In the big and the little. I'm constantly losing my key. Maybe I should just pray for it first before I said. No, but how often do we actually pray in whatever we are doing? Be like, Lord, please. And then we act. Nehemiah prayed. Prayer is so essential. The enemy wants to distract your thoughts. He brings constant distraction in and through your whole life anyway. And he wants to give you feelings or thoughts as, as unbelief or hopelessness. That's what the enemy wants to do. I believe that we can spend as much time as pastors to prepare a sermon really well, but if prayer isn't in it, it won't be as effective. I also believe that the pastoral care visitation could absolutely nail it here in Allgate. But if prayer isn't in it, it's not as effective. Why? Because we are not building this church here by our own hands. We are building it by His Spirit. It is so essential for believers of Christ to pray and let Him do the work. I also believe that prayer is helping us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. As you pray and you seek the Lord, He has a chance to... to to take you and to catch your heart and to mold it more like he is. He helps you to focus on him. And as you do this and you're soft and you listen to his spirit, he can transform your life and make it more aligned to who he is and what his character is all about. This is what prayer can do for you. It is so, so powerful. Can I challenge us a bit at this point? Because I feel like we are living right now in a world that is full of calendars <laughs> and we structure everything right 
So, and you may be thinking like, all right, let's pray five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. And uh, yeah, maybe I go next week in your calendar, you put it on to worship night. First step, but potentially something better comes up. So, and let's just see. Am I, oh, sorry, can't now. Don't get me wrong right now. A structure in your life can be very good to develop healthy habits. And I think often I need structure in my life to do exactly this. But I truly believe that if we manage to live our life according to his will, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, being obedient to his prompting and his calling, and walking in it, and if always a prayerful heart in whatever we are doing, as we are living out our life, day and night, if you see an ambulance, pray for the doctors in that ambulance car. Pray for the person. Pray for wisdom. Pray for a revelation of the Spirit for that person before they die. Pray for them. If you have your eyes caught on someone in the supermarket who is getting out the milk out of the shelf, pray for that person. Walk prayerfully through your life. I truly believe that if we manage to do this and we pray in all seasons, that our hearts will be aligned to God's desire and that this prayer will be so, so powerful. And when then opposition comes, your heart will be aligned with the Lord's heart and you will pray how the Lord wants you to pray. And this was what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah invested his life at that time to build this wall. And when opposition came, it wasn't a great surprise to him. But he knew how to pray. And he prayed, and I truly believe he could say, well, I pray with my whole heart. God. And after he prayed, Nehemiah then said in verse 14, don't be afraid. Love this. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Don't look to yourself. Look to God. Amen, eh? What a sentence. Don't look to yourself. Look to God. The second thing that Nehemiah did was when he knew he was facing opposition is that he knew his weapons, and so must we. We must know our weapons. Nehemiah got prepared. He didn't just hear of the opposition and ran away in fear and and stop building this wall. He didn't do this. He also just didn't laugh at all the opposition. It was like, who cares? And kept on building the wall and didn't do anything about it. No. Nehemiah heard that there was opposition coming. He prayed. He got prepared. He had his weapons ready. And as he had his weapons ready, he kept on building the wall. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spares, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. Do you know how inconvenient this is? Have you ever tried to pick up a few rocks with one hand? I don't know about you, but I would be the most impatient person building that wall. So crumpy after a while. <laughs> but they knew the importance of holding those weapons and of still having them while they were building. I think we can learn so much from it today. I truly believe this. Because we are not fighting anymore now for, for pricks and for water. But we are fighting for spiritual sons and daughters. And our battle is our battle is pretty spiritual often. And it may not be as visible to us. 
But it says in Ephesians 6 that we are fighting against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what we are fighting against. It may not be constantly in front of our face, but we are in a spiritual battle. I want to tell you a few stories where I experienced spiritual battle in my walk. Um, where I just thought, okay, that probably points it out a tiny bit. One story was that I was in India and we went um, as a team to a city in India called Varanasi. And Varanasi is one of the um, five most holiest cities in, in Hinduism in India. And the Ganges River goes through Varanasi and they believe that if you are blessed to die on the land of Varanasi that you actually can exit this whole birth and rebirth cycle that you're blessed to exit all of that. They also believe that you can wash your sins away in the river and that you can do a lot of sacrifices. And so you can see lots of animals sacrificed and you can also see bodies sacrificed. It's not a very pleasant thing to be in Varanasi. It's very confronting. And you walked into the city and you felt the spiritual heaviness that was just over the city. And I kid you not, within half an hour, I found it physically exhausting to put one foot in front of the other. Within a short time after, most of our team was in bed with a really high temperature. And then we were like, what is actually happening here? What is going on? So we got out of bed and we prayed. And within one hour, we met the people we had to meet. Another story was, um, Josh and I, we spent some time visiting different missionaries and we came to Northern Thailand. And there's, um, they often have these little temples in front of their villages where they put incense and whatever to please the spirits of the village. Um, that they go in and out. Anyway, we came to this one village and we walked into it with another missionary. And the man came running up towards us and he said, who are you? And the missionary was like, why? He said, well, the spirits have just left us. We didn't feel anything special, to be honest. It wasn't like that. I felt like, <gasps> what's happening here? Nothing. But there was a spiritual battle happening. The spirits had just left them. There was a shop in Mambaka, and it sold lots of baskets. And as I walked into that shop only last year, I felt the same spiritual heaviness as I felt in Varanasi. And I couldn't not not pray. <laughs> I just walked in and I just felt immediately like that I just had to start praying. And I prayed for every person entering the shop. I prayed for every person buying any baskets that the Lord would just protect them. And in actual fact, I prayed that the shop would be closed. I praise be to God, right? I'm sure there will be more people who pray to properly discern something in the shop. The shop closed not this long ago, but it is shut. We are living also in a spiritual battle. Last week, um, I preached the sermon here in, in Verdun, and Rebecca came to me, Rebecca Carter came to me in the morning, and she's like, oh, how was your weekly when I prayed for you? Because often when Robin is preaching as well, there's a lot happening in that week. And I always smile, I was like, yes, <laughs> we are a bit exhausted. And this is not now to gain our self-pity in all of it, but pray for your pastors, pray for their partners, pray for their children on the week leading up to their sermons. Pray for Nick when he's preparing week in, week out here to pray here. Because once you preach the truth and you're proclaiming the name of Jesus, you're going to face opposition. If you go into the world and you're truly a testimony in your workplace, you're going to face opposition. 
Wherever the truth is being spoken, it is a promise that you will. But here's what I want to say. I want to say that I, I believe it is so vital that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not on the enemy. If we live this Christian walk here right now, I hear so many people who will be like, oh man, I got, you know, I felt so attacked last week. Ten times, this and this and this and this and this and I'm such, I'm such a great attack right now. I guess, amen, yes, you are probably. And it's almost good on you because you seem to be doing something right in your Christian walk right now. But I believe you can give the enemy way too much attention and time. Way too much. Praise Jesus for who he is. Spend time in the word. Pray him. And if you feel attacked or opposed or whatever, then you know what to say then. But don't have your eyes on whatever the enemy may be doing in your world. Have your eyes fixed on Jesus and what he is doing. Because this is far, far more powerful. We need to know our weapons. So do we know them? Let's read together Ephesians 6. Therefore, it says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So let's have a look into what this means for us. Firstly, the belt of truth. The devil's favorite weapon is to put lies in your life to distort the truth. Pray for discernment and wisdom over your life that you would know what is true. The breastplate of righteousness. Satan tries to destroy your self-worth. He does not want you to know your position within Jesus because he, know, he knows how powerful this is. Remind yourself of the promises that God is giving you, of who you are in him. And be secure in that. The shoes for your feet. Preach the gospel with boldness and with confidence. Wherever you are in this world, whoever you see, don't be ashamed of what is written in the Bible. This truth can truly transform someone's life. You may be the only person that you ever meet who actually shares this news with them. Carry it with boldness and with confidence. Shield of faith. Do you know that faith is a gift? Pray that you would have more and more faith, that the Lord will grant you more faith. The helmet of salvation. How often does the struggle actually start in our mind when we start believing these half-truths, lies, discouragements, having fears or anxieties, doubts? Pray for the helmet of salvation so that it would be the Lord who will renew your mind to become more like his. The sword of the spirit, which is the Bible. Do you know the scripture? Are you reading his word? Are you in it? Please be. Why do you think it's such a battle sometimes to pick up the book? Interesting. 
And again, pray. The enemy does not want you to pray. Pray that you would run this walk well. This life is not about that you have to prove it to anybody, how strong you are, how greatly you can be persecuted for the name of Jesus, how much you may be struggling in your life. It's all not about this. But it is about to just join in with Jesus and to keep on building his kingdom. And lastly, when Nehemiah heard about the opposition, Nehemiah knew the power of unity within community. You are not walking this Christian walk here on your own. You are not. When you are facing opposition in your walk with Jesus, you can know that you have other brothers and sisters in Christ who are here for you, who want to encourage you, support you, love you, pray for you, correct you when needed, hold your hand and walk this journey with you. So please do this walk in community. Don't isolate yourself from Christ's family. Please don't. He's asking us to do this together. And he knew why. What we need to understand is that the Israelites were not just building this wall back then for themselves. They were building it for all the future generations to come. And they were also building it for you. Why? Because Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem. Jesus walked in it. Jerusalem was the identity of the Jewish people back then. It was, the temple was the place where the Lord was dwelling in. The Lord's dwelling place. For us, it is no longer Jerusalem. For us, it is God. And for us, it's no longer about a temple. It is about this kingdom covenant. As I said before, we are not fighting anymore for bricks and waters. We are fighting for spiritual sons and daughters. Do not underestimate how the Lord can use you in your life if you are truly willing to commit your life to Him and to build His kingdom in this world. And you will face opposition. This is promised. Paul says in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at any fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Is there something strange were happening to you? But rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What happened in the book of Nehemiah was a foreshadowing of what happened to the person of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus faced opposition throughout his whole ministry here on earth. He faced opposition from the Romans and he even faced opposition from within his disciples all the way up to the cross. But how powerful is it for us today to know that our Lord understands and that he's lifted out and that we can look to him as an example on how to do this work well here in this world today. So I believe it is an amazing blessing to know that you are not, I'm not doing all of this alone. That in fact, there is churches all around the world, people all around the world who are picking up bricks and keep on building this wall. So as you walk this journey of faith, as you live your life out in this world for the name of Jesus, trust God, pray, pray. 
And as you commit your life to Him, know your weapons. Know them and use them. And as you're living that out, of holding your weapons in your one hand, keep on building His kingdom. You are the Lord's dwelling place on earth. This is who we are today. The Spirit is dwelling inside us. What was once in a temple is now in you. How amazing, what a promise is that. The wall back then went up a lot, lot faster than anybody would have thought. I don't know about you, but I am truly praying for revival. I am praying so hard that we would see the Lord's Spirit move this nation again. The latest stats is going downhill rapidly right now for people who are actually saying they believe in the name of Jesus. And it makes me just grieving. I believe that if all, all of the believers would truly, truly know him, be in his word, be transformed by him, commit their whole life to Jesus with their weapons in their hand and keep on building the kingdom that maybe just all see this wall, this kingdom be established a lot quicker than any one of us could have thought, eh? So let's be, let's be this church. Let's be these people. Let's join in. Let's be a part of what Jesus wants to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you chose to use us to build your kingdom on earth, Jesus. Spirit, you are dwelling inside us and it is an amazing privilege to even know that we have the living God, Spirit, that you are in us to transform us, to become more like you, Christ. I pray for a soft heart for all of us that we would not be afraid when you prompt us, that we would not be running away when you are asking us to be obedient, Jesus. But that you would be obedient in the little and the big. Lord, may our lives be more transformed as you are, Jesus, and as we do this, as we get closer and closer to you and seek you more and know our weapons, that while we are doing this at the same time, that we share the good news with people around us in boldness and in confidence so they would know who you are, Jesus. Lord, we pray for revival over the city. Jesus, we pray for this nation. We pray for Allgate and all the area here in the Adelaide Hills. Jesus, we pray that people would be aware of who we are because of how we live our life, Lord. May they look to us and be like, who is that God that they can even love each other in such a way as a church? Who is this person that they believe in, Jesus? May our life truly reflect who you are. So, Lord, I pray a blessing over every person listening to this here right now, Lord. That, Spirit, you would just equip them for all the good works you have in front of them. Strengthen their faith, Jesus, and give them a joy in their heart again to know more and more who you are, Lord. Help all of us to gain a growing understanding of who you are, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.